Welcome to this peer voice activity. To access the entire activity, including supporting material, go to www.peervoice.com forward slash PRJ. This activity is supported by an educational grant from Blueprint Medicines Corporation. Welcome to this peer voice activity on systemic mastocytosis. This activity comprises a series of four streaming episodes with Professor Frank Siebenhaar. At any time during this presentation, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. Hello everyone, my name is Frank Siebenhaar. I'm a dermatologist and allergist at the Institute of Allergology at Charité in Berlin. With this short series of episodes, we want to give you an introduction on systemic mastocytosis. Make you more aware of what is the disease is about, uh, how to diagnose it, and how to deal with it, monitoring and managing patients. In this first episode, I'd like to give you a short introduction and a rapid overview on what systemic mastocytosis is. By definition, mastocytosis is a clonal proliferative disease, meaning that there is a clonal expansion of mast cells, which involves several organs, typically the skin, bone marrow, gastrointestinal tract, and or other organs. It's a quite heterogeneous disease in terms of the mast cell burden and the symptom burden. So not all mastocytosis patients are the same. Mastocytosis is a frequent comorbidity in anaphylaxis patients by which it could augment severe allergic reactions, most commonly in insect venom allergy. Mastocytosis is a rare disease. About 1.6 per 10,000 are affected with an estimated incidence of 1 in 100,000 patients per year and a balanced gender distribution. The pathogenesis of mastocytosis is quite simple. It's a monogenic disease caused by a KIT mutation. So to remind you, KIT is a receptor which is essential on healthy mast cells to control the number of mast cells and its distribution uh, and uh, regulated by its natural ligand stem cell factor. In mastocytosis, the KIT receptor is affected by a gain-of-function mutation, meaning that the KIT receptor um, in the underlying downstream tyrosine kinase is auto-activated and becomes independent of the presence of its natural ligand stem cell factor. As a result, mast cells increase in numbers in different tissues where mast cells usually reside. The most common KIT mutation is the so-called DX16V, by which up to 95% of adult patients with mastocytosis are affected. The classification of mastocytosis in principle distinguishes mastocytosis into two main categories, which are cutaneous and systemic. Cutaneous mastocytosis is, by definition, um, defined by the absence of the evidence of mast cell accumulation in other organs besides the skin. And we have three types here. The most common is the so-called macular papular cutaneous mastocytosis, what you may have heard earlier uh, as the term uticaria pigmentosa. There is also diffuse cutaneous mastocytosis and cutaneous mastocytoma, which are very common in children, but not so common in adults. Whereas mastocytosis in children is most commonly limited to the skin and shows a high rate of self-remission, adult patients are mainly affected by systemic mastocytosis with a lifelong disease course. The most prevalent forms of systemic mastocytosis are bone marrow mastocytosis and indolent systemic mastocytosis, by which 85% of adult patients are affected. Indolent, in this case, 
means that these patients are not harmed by dying from the disease, which could happen in the more advanced forms of systemic mastocytosis that are aggressive and life-threatening. Smoldering systemic mastocytosis is a form by which we have a high mast cell burden, not yet fulfilling the criteria for an advanced form of mastocytosis. Independent of the disease category, patients are often affected by a high symptom burden that tremendously impairs their quality of life. How do we diagnose systemic mastocytosis? There are WHO criteria with one major and four minor criteria. The major criteria means that we found mast cell aggregates of more than 15 cells in the bone marrow or in another extracutaneous organ. Minor criteria are that more than 25% of all mast cells are atypical or spindle-shaped. Mast cells have an apparent expression of CD2, CD25, or CD30. A kit mutation can be detected either in the bone marrow or in the peripheral blood. And or baseline serum tryptase levels are continuously elevated over 20 nanograms per mil. Systemic mastocytosis is diagnosed if either the major and one minor all three of the minor criteria are fulfilled. To distinguish non-advanced forms from advanced forms of systemic mastocytosis, there are B and C findings uh, that we also assess in our patients. B findings describe the mast cell burden, which by definition is higher in smoldering systemic mastocytosis, meaning that there is high tryptase of more than 200, um, that there's infiltrates of mast cells in the bone marrow that exceed 30%, or there's a high allele frequency of the DX16V kit mutation higher than 10% in the peripheral blood or in the bone marrow. Also, we find signs of dysplasia or myeloproliferation in the bone marrow of patients, which do not yet fulfill the criteria for another myeloid disease. And we may find hepato or splenomegaly and or lymphadenopathy, um, but without signs of dysfunction. If two or more of these B findings are present, the diagnosis is smoldering systemic mastocytosis. C findings describe organ dysfunction, which is caused by the infiltration of mast cells, either of the bone marrow resulting in cytopenias, or in the liver and or spleen causing ascites and hypersplenism. Also skeleton involvement by osteolytic bone lesions or by gastrointestinal infiltration, leading to malabsorption or hypoalbuminia and weight loss. C findings are by definition associated with aggressive systemic mastocytosis. Taken together, when it comes to the subclassification of systemic mastocytosis, this algorithm is very helpful. We diagnose systemic mastocytosis by the WHO criteria, again, when one major and one minor or three of the minor criteria are present. In bone marrow cytology, we check for the percentage of mast cells to rule out mast cell leukemia, which is defined by having more than 20% mast cells in the bone marrow smear. Further, by the percentage of mast cells in the peripheral blood, which could be less or more than 10%, mast cell leukemia is distinguished between a leukemic and an alleukemic form. When we check for B and C findings to define indolent or bone marrow mastocytosis, smoldering mastocytosis, or aggressive mastocytosis, if there is um, a presence of a non-mast cell lineage hematologic my or myeloid neoplasm, then this would fulfill the category of systemic mastocytosis with an associated hematologic myeloid neoplasm. 
And with that, thank you for your attention. Please join me for the next episode. Hello, everyone. My name is Frank Siebenar. I'm a dermatologist and allergist at the Institute of Allergology at Charity at Berlin. Welcome to episode number two, which is focusing on the symptoms of indolent systemic mastocytosis and the burden on patients' life. As we have learned in the first episode, the most prevalent forms of systemic mastocytosis are indolent systemic mastocytosis and bone marrow mastocytosis, in which the predominant problem is not a markedly high mast cell burden, as in smoldering systemic mastocytosis or aggressive mast cell infiltration with subsequent organ damage, as in advanced systemic mastocytosis. The most prevalent clinical problem in non-advanced systemic mastocytosis is patients suffering from a high symptom burden caused by the release of mast cell mediators in their tissues that can affect several organ systems and thus tremendously impairs patients' quality of life. The spectrum of signs and symptoms in systemic mastocytosis can widely vary and range from very little to very debilitating up to severe and life-threatening anaphylaxis. Several organ systems can be affected, including the skin, the gastrointestinal tract, as well as the musculoskeletal and or the nervous system. Many patients suffer from intense itching and flushing, recurrent diarrhea, abdominal cramping, bone or muscle pain, as well as fatigue and neurocognitive symptoms. About one-third of patients are additionally affected by osteopenia or osteoporosis that could cause pathologic fractures. The most common cause of severe anaphylaxis in systemic mastocytosis is insect venom allergy, but also unprovoked anaphylactic reactions occur more frequently in patients with systemic mastocytosis. If we look into the symptom burden and quality of life um, in patients, then we see that despite currently available treatment options, many patients still have a moderate to severe symptom burden as measured by the mastocytosis activity score and tremendously impairment of uh, their uh, quality of life as assessed by the mastocytosis quality of life questionnaire, pointing towards the high unmet need for better treatment options in these patients. The high symptom burden many patients suffer from also harbors a tremendous social economic burden as 95% of patients with non-advanced systemic mastocytosis report an impact on work productivity. About 50% reduce their working hours and about a third each report medical disability or even voluntarily quit their job due to their disease. In order to improve patient outcomes, we should include quality of life as a goal of therapy. Once again, thank you for your attention and please join me for the next episode. Hello again, my name is Frank Siebenar, dermatologist and allergist at the Institute of Allergology at Charity in Berlin. Welcome to this third episode on diagnostic tests and when to use them in systemic mastocytosis. So, what are the signs and symptoms that should prompt us to do further diagnostic tests to look for systemic mastocytosis? There are several indices for a clinical suspicion of systemic mastocytosis. Firstly, about 85% of adult patients with systemic mastocytosis exhibit typical skin lesions. These skin lesions present as monomorphic, small reddish-brownish macular papular lesions that typically express the so-called Darius sign, 
which is very specific for mastocytosis in the skin. How you elicit the diarrhea sign? You just take a wooden spandle, rub over the skin, wait 15 minutes, and then you will see reddenishing, flushing, um, and the development of a wheel. Sometimes that could even be itchy. Lesions can cover most of the body surface area or could be very discreet. These lesions usually first appear symmetrically at the thighs, but can also spread over the trunk. In all patients with severe anaphylaxis, mastocytosis should be ruled out. Thus, looking for mastocytosis skin lesions, check for tryptase level, and if available, assess KDX6V mutation in the peripheral blood, which is especially helpful in patients in whom skin lesions are absent and tryptase is not clearly elevated. As it is more often the case in patients with anaphylaxis, since they are frequently affected by bone marrow mastocytosis. Last but not least, osteoporosis of unexplained course, especially in young males, could also lead to a suspicion of mastocytosis and prompt further diagnostic tests. Such as, again, look for skin lesions, start at the thighs, check for tryptase levels, and if you can, look for the KIDX16V mutation in the peripheral blood. If you want to test for the KIDX16V mutation, make sure that a highly sensitive assay is available in your lab since other methods, including NGS, may not be sensitive enough to pick up the mutation in the peripheral blood, especially in patients with a low allele frequency. Thank you again for joining me and for your attention. Please join me for the final episode. Hello again, everyone. In this final episode, we will use two cases to go through the diagnostic tests in systemic mastocytosis. So our first case is a 31-year-old male who had a history of skin lesions for 15 years. He has typical reddish-brownish macular papular lesions with a positive diarrhea sign. So a clear diagnosis of cutaneous involvement in mastocytosis. There were no allergic reactions in, this, in the history, but the patient had experienced a vertebral compression fracture two years ago, which could be a sign of comorbid osteoporosis in this patient. Is there evidence of systemic involvement in this patient? For this, we checked the serum tryptase, which was 150 nanograms per mil. We checked for the allele frequency of KIT mutation DX16V, which was 4.1% in the peripheral blood. Also, we checked for other markers associated with disease burden in systemic mastocytosis, for example, alkaline phosphatase, which was not elevated, but above 100, which has been linked to a higher mast cell burden in patients with systemic mastocytosis. His uh, complete blood count was normal. We also checked for other symptoms, possibly associated with mastocytosis. And the patient reported on having diarrhea, bone pain, and brain fog. Further diagnostic workup in this patient included abdominal ultrasound showing a slight hepatosplenomegaly and a bone density scan that confirmed osteoporosis in this patient. So the question is, do we now do a bone marrow biopsy in this patient, yes or no? I think yes, we should do this. First of all, there is also a slight tendency of patients with indolent systemic mastocytosis to have not as good survival as a patient with cutaneous mastocytosis. 
And we have indicators in this patient in terms of high tryptase, high mutation burden, and elevated alkaline phosphatase, which might point towards a higher disease category. So when we did the bone marrow biopsy in this patient, we found dense mast cell aggregates, about 30% of all nucleated cells, more than 25 of which are spindle-shaped and express CD25. Let's check for the diagnostic criteria again. We have dense mast cell aggregates, more than 25% spindle-shaped, and expression of CD25. Take together with the presence of the KIT-DX16V mutation and the elevated tryptase, basically all of the criteria for systemic mastocytosis are fulfilled. Remember, for the diagnosis of systemic mastocytosis, either the major and one minor or three of the minor criteria need to be fulfilled. Furthermore, the bone marrow aspirate showed 5% mast cells in cytology, so there was no evidence of mast cell leukemia in this patient. In the end, we need to decide what category of systemic mastocytosis the patient falls into. And I would say right now it is still indolent systemic mastocytosis, but if you have looked precisely, there are already two B criteria fulfilled which is the infiltration rate of mast cells in the bone marrow, which was higher at 30%, and the hepatosplenomegaly. So with two B findings, this patient could also fall into the category of smoldering systemic mastocytosis, meaning a patient with high mast cell burden and with a higher risk of progression to one of the more advanced forms of systemic mastocytosis. Therefore, this patient also needs a regular follow-up in terms of tryptase, heat mutation burden, and alkaline phosphatase, at least. He may also need a re-biopsy of the bone marrow if any of these parameters change. Also, do not forget that all adult patients with systemic mastocytosis need to be equipped with an emergency epinephrine auto-injector, even if there was not yet, as in this patient, an allergic reaction experienced. Let us look into another case of a 21-year-old female. She has had skin lesions for about one year, Darius' sign was weak but tested positive. You can see that her skin lesions are quite more discreet than those of the first patient. So always look precisely when examining the skin to not miss them and always start at the thighs. This patient has experienced a wasp venom-induced anaphylactic reaction. So of course we checked her for systemic mastocytosis. Her tryptase was low at 13. The kit mutation burden in peripheral blood was detectable but also low at 0.03%. And her alkaline phosphatase and complete blood counts were normal. We asked her as well if she had been experiencing any other symptoms and she reported abdominal pain, dizziness and headache once in a while. Imaging scans showed no hepatosplenomegaly and no osteoporosis. We did a GI endoscopy just to rule out other reasons for the abdominal pain. The patient reported, and this was also normal. So, should we do a bone marrow investigation in this patient? Well, this could be a matter of debate. Many centers do, some centers do not, because the low tryptase and the low mutation burden, which point towards a rather low mast cell burden, Furthermore, her alkaline phosphatase and her complete blood counts were normal as well. So, with the presence of skin lesions, a tryptase of 13, and the detection of a KIT-DX16 mutation, 
it is very likely that she has indolent systemic mastocytosis. A bone marrow biopsy may be done to confirm this. Of course, this patient also needs to be equipped with an emergency kit, and due to the diagnosis of venom-induced anaphylaxis, this patient should receive venom immunotherapy. Be aware that some patients with mastocytosis do not well tolerate specific immunotherapy. Here is one off-label therapy available that could help. Omalizumab, an anti-IG antibody, has been shown in a couple of cases to very well control anaphylactic reactions in, patient, in patients with systemic mastocytosis and also when combined uh, with specific immunotherapy in cases in which it is not well tolerated. As said, omalizumab is not licensed for these purposes, but a considerable option in this specific patient population. Also, this patient should be followed yearly to monitor blood counts, serum tryptase, and kid mutation burden. Finally, symptom burden should be assessed and monitored, ideally by disease-specific patient-reported outcome measures that recently became available for patients with mastocytosis. This brings us to the end of this series. Thank you very much for watching. This has been an activity published by Peer Voice.